What a blessing. To, to see the God that created the heavens and the earth, created the supercluster and the extra cluster and the bigger cluster of galaxies, and yet he's still here this morning. And he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. I know I don't deserve it. I don't know about you. But he loves us anyway. His love is so great. It's so wonderful. And it, it creates a sense of awe in us. And I have the opportunity today just to share how awe we often think of this big God and this wonderful, huge mountain or the depths of the sea. But actually, one of the most awe-inspiring things about God is his love. So um, if you don't know me, my name's Sam and uh, my wife and I, we're the youth pastors here at Elam. I felt like I was um, ready for like a uh, receive in American football or something. I also work in IT. I love donuts. Um, I'm a pretty simple guy. <laughs> um, and, you know, recently, I've been infected by this terrible bug. Man. And I contracted a chest infection. I think that's been going around, right? Yeah? <laughs> now, before I talk about this, I, I do want to address man flu. Now, <laughs> I have contracted man flu in the past. I, my wife can attest to that. But this time, this was not man flu, okay? This was the real deal. <laughs> Even went to the doctor and everything. And um, to prove how sick I've been, I've got a photo of my mucus coming up on screen. No, no, I'm kidding. False alarm. False alarm. False alarm. It's okay. Hey, kids, do you want to hear something gross? <laughs> Look, if you don't want to hear this, you can close your ears for like five or ten seconds, all right? But kids... The colour of the stuff coming out of my nose was Spongebob colour. Oh, gross. Okay, you're good, you're good, you're good. You're good. You know, this, this sickness, it's been a trigger for me to cough uncontrollably. Coughing in the morning, coughing in the night. Annoying my workmates to no end. Some of them are here, they would know how annoying my coughing has been. Annoying my wife all night, <laughs> unable to sleep. There's one particular symptom I've had that's been plaguing me. My right lung has been injured, and it's because of the coughing, right? Now, whenever I cough or move in a particular way, I'm finding this terrible wincing that's been happening, and there's this one thing that causes the worst pain in my lung, and it's sneezing. Sneezing causes me to curl up, I turn white, <laughs> and I feel the, the, the heaviest pain I think I've felt in my life. In fact, the other day I did a triple sneeze and I couldn't walk straight for 20 minutes. Actually, speaking of sneezing, my wife used this trick on me the other day. I was about to sneeze and she started saying all these unusual words, <laughs> like blueberry and giraffe, and, and all of a sudden I stopped sneezing. Have you heard of this phenomenon? I, I'd never heard of it. But she, by saying random words as I was about to sneeze, stopped at mid sneeze it's crazy. I don't know. If, who's heard of that before? Yeah? Look, guys, if you want to help someone not sneeze, just start saying random things at them. Let me tell you, it blew my mind. It works. It's, um, it's interesting. There are certain interactions that cause certain responses in our bodies. Just like Beck saying blueberry. <laughs> it stopped me sneezing. It happens in our bodies, in our mind, in our spirit. I have, I, have, uh, I have one mate. He has a particular reaction when something is funny. He has to laugh. 
He cannot hold it in. He's like a balloon filling with air until he explodes. And you know what? I have this reaction. When he starts laughing, I start laughing, and I can't control it. Do you have a friend that makes you laugh every single time? Man, always at the worst times. I I also find there are certain movies that I watch where I can't help but break down in tears (laughs) and cry. Look, I'm a man but I cry in movies. Men who cry, they face their emotions. They're tough. Yeah, men. Come on. Like uh, The Lion King, when Mufasa dies, oh my gosh, every time. Or Toy Story 3, when Andy leaves the toys behind. Kids, have you seen that movie? Oh, it's so sad. Here's a question for you. What movie... Do you cry or laugh in every single time? Every single time. What's that movie you go to? <laughs> you see, in our human nature, there are certain natural responses that we cannot control. And the more we try to control these responses, the more they build up in the background. They have to come out at some point in some way. It's the way God has created us. And right throughout the Bible, God is very aware of our humanity. And he is also very clear that he's made us on purpose for a purpose. Our responses weren't just designed for crying in movies. We can respond to pain with compassion. We can respond to difficulty with bold faith. We can respond to heartbreak with forgiveness unconditionally. And there's one particular response that I want to talk about today, this natural response that occurs when humanity encounters the love of God. It's life-transforming awe. When humanity encounters the love of God, our response is life-transforming awe. The Bible states that God is love for my first slide. In in 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, you and me. Jesus is the example of God's love that I'm going to be talking about. If, If you've been checking out this Christian faith stuff today, or if you're watching online, and you've been waiting for a sign for God to reveal himself to you, He's already sent it. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus is the exemplified love of God. And he's the proof of our our wonderful galaxy-creating God. Have you ever encountered the love of Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about sentiment and emotion I'm talking about the compassionate, expansive, unbreakable, patient, unwavering, fierce, and immeasurably kind love of God that is exemplified in Jesus. The love of Jesus is like nothing else. It's more powerful than an emotional movie. It's him. It's who he is. He is love. And Jesus, his love, it can 
stir despair into bold hope. It breaks the chains of decades of addiction. It has saved me from the shame of my darkest decisions and the pride that attacks my heart in my greatest achievements. His love has saved me. It has held me, it has corrected me, and it has melted me. Just next slide. It's so important for us to find this love and, and to chase intimacy with Jesus where we find this love in Him. It's truly all we need. There's nothing like the power of God's love. And I believe God wants us to be reacquainted with Him through the lens of His love this morning. And I've got three accounts from the Bible to help represent God's love to each of us today. I'm going to start with the story of David. Have you heard of David? David was arguably the greatest warrior recorded in the Bible. And he was eventually the goat, the greatest of all time, Israelite king. David was a really, really, really cool guy. In fact, in, in David's origin story, David killed Goliath the giant. I think if Goliath had been alive today, he would have been the greatest WWE wrestler of all time. And you know what? David was so cool that the ladies of Israel lined the streets singing songs about how wonderful his military might was. David was so cool that Saul, the king at the time, who wanted to kill him because he was so jealous of him, man, David had 37 guys, 37 bros of elite military training come and stand with him. And another four to 600 guys left everything they had to come and stand with David because he was so cool. He was the man. And he eventually became the king of Israel. His success was clear. What a list of things he achieved. What a guy. But there's this moment that takes place around 1990 B.C., David and the people of Israel, they bring the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's presence on earth, they bring it into David's capital city, Jerusalem. This was a special moment. This could possibly have been the greatest thing that David ever did. He was the hand to restore God's presence back into the heart of Israel. <laughs> That's pretty huge. And I wonder if this should have been the moment where David lined the streets with the ladies who sang about his military might. And he got the 37 bros and the other 600 bros. And he just walked with a bit of swagger into Jerusalem. Here I am, I'm bringing Jesus in. I'm bringing the Ark of the Covenant. This is my moment. No, actually, this is not what David did. In fact, David does something completely different. He takes off his royal robes. Nice white jacket. There we go. And he takes the linen ephod, which was a, a dressing that priests wore. And the procession goes through the streets as they carry God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the heart of Israel. And what David does is he dances before the Lord. <laughs> he dances in worship. In, in, this, in this act of love, he dances before God in front of all the people of Israel. His dance was not out of disrespect for God. 
but out of a holy humility. It's really significant that David took his royal robes off. You know, he took off his earthly accolades and everything about him that made him cool, his royalty, and he chose to express his heart for God through an act of worship, which made him look undignified. In fact, his wife was embarrassed. I have embarrassed my wife many times in my life already. We've only been married about a year and a half, but I've had ample opportunity, let me tell you. <laughs> David's wife was so embarrassed. She scolded him for, for this, this act of undignification that he danced before the people of Israel. But there was a gratitude in David's heart. There was something that had happened to him that caused him to have this humility to, to want to worship the Lord in this way. Kids, would you be brave enough to dance in front of all of New Zealand? Wow. I would be freaking out. What is it that David encountered that caused him to have such a humble attitude before God that he didn't care what all of Israel thought? Even in the face of all that could have made him prideful, he had the most humble heart. If you could, um, yeah, here we go. Intimacy, and this is, this is the first the key point, and this is just definitely um, something to hold on to. Intimacy opens the door to humility. D- David met God's love years before this moment. Through worship and prayer out in the fields as he was a shepherd, it changed his world, so much so that his life was dripping with a closeness, a knowing, an intimate relationship with God. Just like my wife being sick from being close to me. When we are close with God, it changes us. It rubs off on us. And the natural response to intimacy with God is a humble heart. He chased intimacy with Jesus. And also looking at this moment with David, this humble heart, it spurred him to action. To do something wonderful before the Lord when he had a lot of other options. So the next, next point is that humility opens the door to faithfulness. Intimacy opens the door to humility. And humility opens the door to faithfulness. David's act and his actions before the Lord were worshipful because of the intimacy and the humility that he had in his heart. He was able to be faithful. If he had led the same procession, the Ark of the Covenant, the army, the priests, yelling and screaming, come on, we've, the, the presence of God's coming into Jerusalem, and he danced, right? So there's a faithfulness, the faithful act he did of dancing. If he hadn't have had the humility, and if he hadn't have started with intimacy... I imagine that he would have danced in a bit like Mick Jagger or Michael Jackson. He would have had the dance, but it wouldn't have come from a place of humility. It wouldn't have come from a place of intimacy. Maybe um, Gangnam style. I don't know how to do that anymore. That's pretty old. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been all about him. His dance would have been completely different. Can you think about it in your life? The faithful things you've done for God. If you didn't have the intimacy of God with you in those moments, how would they have been different, those faithful acts? Worship team, can you you come and join us? 
Just fill the room with, with worship. Uh, to, to come to a close, let me apply this story to, uh, the, the, sorry, these points to the second story, the story of Stephen. Stephen was an early Christian, and I, I wonder who Stephen was before he met Jesus. Was he just a pauper? We don't know. But what we do know about him is this. It says in Acts, coming up on the screen. They chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. The other Christians, they, they appointed Stephen to a place of leadership because he was so full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in us. So Stephen was close with God. He was intimate. The most significant act of faithfulness that Stephen carried out for the Lord was when he died preaching at the hand of angry Jewish religious leaders. It's, it's all accounted for in Acts 7. I'm going to read this out. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, his preaching, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. It's a bit dumb, eh? <laughs> but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, right? Jesus is the love of God exemplified. Standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, which is Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. I'm just skipping along to the end, next slide. While they were stoning him, so Stephen was being killed while he was preaching and he saw this, this vision. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin of the, of the religious leaders killing him. Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, Dying for your faith, it's pretty heavy, right? And something I'd like to just point out is if any of the Israelites at the time were the most qualified to do such a faithful act as to die for their faith, it was probably the religious leaders. The religious leaders, they'd studied the Bible their whole lives, they knew everything there was to know about God. Except Stephen, the nobody who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was the one to make the most faithful stand. Why? Why not the religious leaders? It's because he was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus, that love, they are love. God is love. The love of Jesus was inside of Stephen. And it changed him. He was so humble because he had intimacy with God, he was so humble, it was, it was life-changing enough for him to stand for his faith and to even forgive those who were killing him. My goodness. And, you know, we end with our third story from the Bible, the third account, which is Jesus. God in human flesh went to the cross to die for you and your sin, and for me, and my sin. The king of heaven, he took off his royal robes, a bit like David. He took off his, his holiness and, and put on human flesh. 
And just like David, he went into Jerusalem with humility, not with a big pompous dance. Jesus didn't roll in with the 12 disciples and, you know, have swagger. He, he was riding on a donkey. A donkey is one of the dirtiest, most weird-looking animals that you can think of. <laughs> and you know what? He was killed by religious leaders, very similar to Stephen, because of their jealousy and hatred. The religious leaders who are meant to be the, the carriers of God's love, they hated the God's love that Jesus was talking about because they had built their faith on faithfulness. They did all the right laws. They did all the right things. They said the right things. They were at the right places at the right times. But their dance of faith was not built on an intimacy with Jesus. So there was no humility that intimacy had opened for them in their hearts so that their faithful acts actually were worship. Instead, they chose to kill Jesus. They hadn't built their faith around intimacy with God. But Jesus was different. He lived for a different reason. And he died for us for a different reason. In Hebrews, it says, this is talking about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus went to the cross because of his closeness with the Father. The love of God was in him. He was God. He was love. And there was a humble love that stirred in him to lay down his life for the hope of the world. It says in 1 John 4.10, our memory verse, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, for us, friends, what have you and I built our lives on? Faithfulness? Tithing? Come to church every Sunday? Read the Bible before I go to bed? These are all good things, right? All good things. Or have we built our lives on intimacy? causes a humility that has a natural response, just like me coughing, <laughs> that has a natural response of me living out faithfully for Jesus because I love him so much. Look, I, I've tried it. I, I've tried to be the best Christian that I possibly can be on the outside. I remember in my 20s, <laughs> I'd lived my whole Christian life, started here at Elam Christian Center, Blenheim, lived so many different paths and, and walks, and I'd done all the right things for Jesus, but somewhere along the way, I'd lost my intimacy with him. The closeness of Jesus was not my first goal, it was actually trying to impress him and impress others. And I, I wonder for you, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or if you've, you've never met this love that died for you and died for your sins, for you, what is your goal? What is our goal? Is it faithfulness? Or is it intimacy? Because I think 
the way this world is wired, sometimes we get too focused on faithfulness and, and forget about why faithfulness is so beautiful, why David's dance was so beautiful, why Stephen standing and preaching the gospel to those who wanted to kill him was so beautiful. It's because we love Jesus and because he loved us. So I, f- I really feel that God wants to challenge us this morning. Not in a way that's, that's scary, but in a way that's awe-inspiring. What does intimacy with Jesus look like for you? I'd love to be the most faithful husband, the most faithful Christian, most faithful, a faithful employee that I can be. But when I do it in my own strength, every time I've failed. <laughs> every time I've let people down. Me without Jesus' love, I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm addicted. I'm broken. But the love of Jesus has changed me. It's corrected me. It's, it's, it's given me something that is so awe-inspiring that there's a natural response inside of me that just has a hum- humility, a gratitude. I want to do whatever you want, Jesus. I want what you want. I'm, I'm here for you, Father. I choose you. I love you. And I will be faithful to you. I will love your people. I will serve your people. I will serve you wherever you call me to go. And it doesn't start over here with faithfulness. It starts with intimacy. Jesus is calling you this morning. He's calling me. He's calling us close. He doesn't want us to try and enter heaven through all our good works so that we can prove how humble we are, so that then we can be close to God. No, it's the other way. His arms are open for you. His arms are open for me this morning. And it causes an awe in my heart that just melts me in gratitude and humility before the King of all kings. 